This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found financial tech in the Guide Rock Capital Management Weekly Commentary for the week of August 5th, 2013. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guy TV studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we post the show, including the written commentary by Andrew, each week out at theaverageguy.tv. Financial tech brings you the latest market commentary from the award-winning Andrew Hunt, CFP and President of Guide Rock Capital Management, located right here on the Gallup campus in Omaha, Nebraska. If you'd like to receive a free copy of the written commentary in advance, or if you have questions or comments that we can read and answer on the show, send Andrew an email at andrew underscore hunt at guiderockcapital, all one word, guiderockcapital.com. Andrew, great week. Great to see you. Welcome back. I know we missed the show last week, but we're ready, I think. We're ready to go at it again. How are you? I'm very well, Jim. Good to be here. Yes, sorry for missing last week. We had scheduling mishaps. I had family in town. I think you had some work stuff going on. So we haven't missed too many, and we'll try and try not miss too many more uh, as we go along. But hey, the talent needs a rest every once in a while. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So you say tomato, I say tomato. You have to be a careful reader to keep up with the Federal Reserve these days. Last week, the Fed recharacterized the pace of economic growth in the United States from, quote, moderate to modest. According to the Wall Street Journal blog, Real-Time Economics, quote, economic data show that modest is a touch weaker than moderate. No matter how you parse the difference, it was enough to prevent the Fed from beginning to normalize monetary policy by cutting back on bond buying. The Fed indicated that the labor market concerns were the key reasons for continuing quantitative easing, uh, which is the, the bond buying program that we've talked about a ton on this program. Investors at home and in emerging markets appear to think that employment concerns and less robust economic growth in the United States were okay as long as quantitative easing continued. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Major U.S. stock markets finished the week higher, while stocks in commodity-driven emerging countries and those with significant current account deficits also moved higher in general. Americans looking for a good-paying job may be less enthusiastic about the reasons for the Fed's constrained outlook. According to the Daily Ticker, a recent analysis found that almost two-thirds of the jobs created during the first half of 2013 were in the low-paying sectors of the economy and provided income of about $15.80 an hour on average. That's, you know, that's kind of low. <laughs> when you multiply that hourly rate by 2080, which is the number of hours in a 52-40 hour work week year, it comes up to about $32,000 a year. That may help explain why the median household income in the United States has fallen from about 54500 in June of 2009, which was the start of the current recovery, to about $52,098 in June 2013, which is you know, over a $4,000 uh, reduction in household income. Here's another interesting difference to ponder as you think about the near future. A future in which many expect China to be an important growth engine. Last week, manufacturing purchase indices were released. The official purchasing managers index, PMI, which includes bigger firms, rose to 50.3 in July from 50.1 in June. Now hang on, stay with me. Any reading above 50 indicates expansion. The unofficial index compiled by Market and HSBC index, which tracks smaller firms, fell to 47.7 from 48.2 for the same period. And any reading below 50 indicates contraction. So chew on that for a second. Big ones hovering around 50, small companies hovering just below 50. The television make makeover shows like What Not to Wear and The Biggest Loser. By the end of this installment or series, uh, lives have been changed and presumably for the better, right? You know, it's transformation. 
Well, it remains to be seen uh, whether Europe's current makeover, an immigration one, will change lives for the better. Unemployment is a key issue behind Europe's makeover. According to Eurostat, unemployment in the EU27 was at almost 11% in June of 2013. That was slightly lower than May of 2013, but higher than June of last year. When you delve deeper into Europe's unemployment, it's clear that the problem is more pronounced in the periphery countries, which typically are Southern European. In March, unemployment in Germany, which is a core country, was only about 5%. Well, in Greece and Spain, which would be classified as periphery countries, it was almost 27%. Among younger populations, unemployment is even higher. In February 2013, 64% of young people in Greece were unemployed and 56% of those in Spain. This statistic is somewhat skewed because many younger people are still in school, of course. But seeking greener pastures, citizens of many of these periphery countries have begun to immigrate. According to The Economist, uh, a study by Real Instituto Elcano found that almost three-fourths of Spaniards under the age of 30 have considered moving abroad. Two percent of Portugal's population has departed during the last two years, and a record 3,000 people are leaving Ireland each month. And guess where the destination is? A lot of those folks are headed to Germany. Pretty interesting stuff. Of course, could exasperate the problems in high-debt countries. Here's a great quote from, from them. Quote, labor is one of the main inputs to growth, and reduction in the size of the underlying labor force through migration will shrink potential output across the periphery, making existing debt loads harder to bear. This could be especially bad if young workers are the ones leaving. That would worsen the dependency ratio as well. There would be fewer potential taxpayers in Spain and Italy to pay for the benefits flowing to a rapidly growing population of pensioners. The greater these migratory flows, the worse the fiscal outlook for the periphery, end quote. Well, as with any makeover, it's difficult to know whether the end result will be positive or lasting. But one thing is likely, the European Union is going to look a lot different in the future. Okay, here's the quote for the week. This is from Victor E. Frankel the Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Andrew, let me ask you about China again. You mentioned, is it characteristic to say China kind of has a slow leak in their economy at this point? I mean, it's not certainly slowing down to a point where we think it's maybe critical, but we are, are we beginning to see some early stages of maybe just some cracks in what was just a very robust engine just a couple years ago? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's important to think about uh, you know everything uh, in relationship, right? So China is slowing, and we've got the GDP data to prove it, um, but their slow growth is still about four times faster than our our United States growth uh, in terms of GDP. So we are seeing some slowdown um, in China. How dramatic that impacts the rest of the world is yet to be seen. I mean, I think uh, you know it's something really we got to sit back and watch. But I'll tell you, a lot of people are betting on uh, you know the Chinese economy to take us to the next level um, in years to come. And if we're already seeing a slowdown, uh, what does that say? Uh, and that's something really to think about. So Lopta in chat says, is China's growth slowing because wage expectations are growing there? I mean, we know China has a a, a growing middle class, and that it's, it's a problem for an economy, especially one that was based on cheap labor. 
Oh yeah, I think that's a big fear. Well, I think it's 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 a couple fold, right? So we've got a rising middle class who are expecting uh, larger compensation for the same work. We've got massive infrastructure problems in China. Um, you know, my brother-in-law, for example, has been to China several times uh, and went back in the late '90s um, and brought back these amazing. I haven't, I haven't been. I would love to go, but brought back these amazing photographs of untouched uh, landscape and just just beautiful. Uh, almost, you know, almost like a hidden kingdom uh, type photographs, uh, and then just went back recently, not too long ago. And those same areas are now smog-ridden uh, with, with large industrial complexes and things like this. And we're seeing this this explosion of growth, but maybe without some of the foresight and infrastructure to really think about how that can, how it can be handled. And we're already seeing sort of some of that to, to take a toll and have an impact. Yeah, it's too bad that China couldn't have learned from the United States. Is right. You know, we went through that in the 60s and 70s and learned a lot of lessons and said you shouldn't do it that. That way and yet it's hard when you're a growing economy and you need to have that infrastructure in place and there's big promises of big money and the middle class is growing and there's pressure on you to do that it's tough on a government whether you're in a democracy or you're in a communist state it's difficult to be able to manage those problems that are going certainly China is having some problems uh, managing those uh, as we've seen just in the pollution that they're creating in their country and uh, they've got some uh, tough road ahead for them. Andrew, I want to ask you one more question. If I'm the average guy and I'm watching an, in an index or something right now that kind of gives me something to look at to give me some information or maybe a source of information, what would I? What should I be watching right now? What's the average guy kind of connecting to if he just wants to watch one or two things in the market? Yeah, so I would I would recommend three things probably. The first uh, that I think is going to be really interesting to watch over the next several weeks uh, is the volatility index, the VIX. Uh, we all became intimate with the VIX in 2009, uh, and so a lot of you who are who are watching the markets back then will know what I'm talking about. But this is the measurement of uh, of basically investor sentiment. You know, how much risk is there in the market? How much uh, risk premium? is there. So watch that um, and, and start to watch how that moves. I think that'll be really interesting. Uh, the second piece uh, to watch uh, is the 10-year treasury. Uh, we talk a lot about bonds on this show. Uh, I spend a lot of time in my practice thinking about bonds. Um, the 10-year treasury is going to be the first indication of what's going on with interest rates uh, as it relates to quantitative easing. And quantitative easing is going <laughs> to translate to what happens to our economy as, uh, over the next 18 to 24 months. And then the third thing is, hey, subscribe to the Guide Rock Weekly Market Commentary. So when we do miss a week, you've got it in print. Uh, you know, this we publish this thing every single week, get it out to you guys. Um, and, we're, and, you know, it's kind of a great summary. Uh, you know, kind of uh, the Cliff Notes version, if you will, of what happened in the last week. And we've got a nice table uh, of year-to-date performance of different indices uh, that you could be watching. That's great. And if you want to subscribe to that commentary, Andrew will send it to you free each and every week. I get it in my in my inbox. That actually our workflow is I wait for Andrew to send out the commentary, and then I send him an email and say, when are we doing the podcast? So you could get that in advance. And of course, you could jump on here with your questions or comments or contributions you might have. You can get that all. Just send Andrew an email. Andrew underscore hunt at guiderockcapital.com. If you're new to podcasts and you're looking for an interesting and an easy way to listen each week, you might want to consider using Stitcher, available on any browser, as well as both the Android and iPhone platforms. Great way to listen to podcasts, both at home and on the road. You can uh, you can find Stitcher just about anywhere. This show and all the past shows are on Stitcher. Stitcher.com, search financial tech. It is education for your ears. And now Andrew and I say thanks for listening. We'll catch up to you next week, and we will be here next week. Remember, be smart about your investing. GuideRock Capital Management, Inc., or GuideRock, is a registered investment advisor that is registered with the state of Nebraska and located in Omaha, Nebraska. 
GuideRock and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration requirements imposed upon investment advisors in the states in which they maintain clients. GuideRock may only transact business in those states in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. Important information describing GuideRock's business operations, services, and fees can be viewed on the SEC's website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. GuideRock will provide Form ADV Part 2, which serves as the firm's disclosure document to all clients. Copies of Form ADV Part 2 are also available to interested parties upon request. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No current or prospective clients should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product made reference to directly or indirectly on this video, website, or indirectly via hyperlink or any affiliated third-party website will be profitable or equal to past performance levels.